Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Enormous game for the Colorado Avalanche tonight. Of course, we'll be talking about that a lot. There's the Avalanche will host the Minnesota Wild at 8 p.m. face-off, by the way, because it's the uh, second part of the TNT doubleheader tonight, national television. As you could expect, the biggest game of the year for the Avs by far, and you can make the argument, the biggest game of the year for the Minnesota Wild as well, as, as of late at least, Dallas seems to have uh, lost a little bit of steam, dropped off. It appears that it is more or less now with the handful of games left, the Avs and the Wilds to sort out. And whoever wins tonight is... Taking their step, Sandy, and really the last ones, the last time these two teams play each other in the regular season, towards flexing control here. That the winner is going to have a position in which they control the rest of their destiny and the loser does not. Now, there's enough games that one point here and there can be made up, but you definitely want to be the one in the driver's seat. The Avs will be at home. They have the opportunity to get this done, and it will be interesting to see if they do. We know about the injury situations, of course, for them. But at the same time, that hasn't mattered much to the Avalanche, who have been playing as solid hockey as anyone in the league. And tonight, they have an opportunity to show the rest of the country, or North America, really, what that's all about against a Minnesota Wild team that will be coming in looking to knock the Avalanche down a peg. Just to give you a sense of not only the importance of this game, but how close these two teams have been. We're three months into 2023. Not that games played last October, November, and December don't count. Of course they do. But I'm more interested in games that have been played over the last three months as opposed to the first two and a half months of the season. Right. Engaging the prospects of any given team for the playoffs. Yeah, recency is important. Sure. The Minnesota Wild, in calendar year 2023, have 22 wins, nine regulation losses, and seven overtime slash shootout losses. That works out to 51 points. The Colorado Avalanche are 25, 10, and 3. That works out to 53 points. That's as close as you can make it apart from the separation being a mere point or no separation at all. Wild have lost fewer regulation games in 2023. The Avs have won more games in regulation and or overtime shootout in 2023. I can't imagine two teams. uh, The Avalanche have a game coming up with Edmonton here fairly soon. Those two teams are similarly close, Mm -hmm. but they're in different divisions. Right. This is the showdown game for first place. One point of separation right now with the Avs having the game in hand. Wild with 95 points for the year, Avalanche with 94. So even over October, November, and December, they were close. They have basically mirrored each other in, in, in different stylistic ways, but their rate of success is almost exactly the same. And I think this is a showcase game, a possible playoff preview, although it's no longer very likely 
that the two teams will meet in the first round. For many weeks, it seemed as if Dallas had enough of an advantage to sustain it through the end of the regular season, that Dallas would finish first and either the Wild or the Avalanche would finish second with the other team finishing third, therefore guaranteeing a first-round matchup, whether Colorado had home ice or Minnesota had home ice. Right now, I agree with your premise simply based on total wins. Avs 44, Wild 43, Dallas 40. So although the three teams are separated by only one point, I agree with your premise that this is a two-team race that will even after tonight become more of a two-team race because one team will go, if the Avs win, two points ahead of Dallas and the other team, if it's Minnesota, would go three points ahead of Dallas. So yeah. this is a big game to win. Uh, I, I think regardless of the outcome, these look like the two top teams in Central Division. And the point being, it's been that way for months. Dallas in calendar year 2023, only 40 points. 16, 11, and 8. Yeah. Actually a losing record with 16 wins and 19 total losses. The only difference being in eight of those games, they got, they got a, a point. point. Right? But 40 points compared to 53, 40 points compared to 51. The two best teams for a very long time, at least 90 days, have been in this division, the Colorado Avalanche and the Minnesota Wild or the Wild and the Avalanche. And I'm not trying to throw dirt on Dallas entirely. I mean, there are still, you know, eight games left for them to play and a, a couple slips here and there by the Avs or the Wild could put them right back in it. But that's the point that you make. But Basically, they're number six in points yeah, right now they have been in the West. Of late since the calendar turned to 2023 a pedestrian team and the abs and the wild have not so this one really feels like it makes a big difference obviously that the advantage of finishing first in the division is is substantial because then you take on one of the wild card teams and when you look at the top three teams in each division right now over in the central you went through it minnesota with 95 the abs and the stars with 94 but in the pacific 98 for the golden knights 96 for the kings 95 for the oilers right uh they're awfully good teams too it's the drop-off happens at the wild card with with seattle at 88 winnipeg at 85 calgary right. and nashville sort of technically hanging along yeah. at 83 and 82 respectively so you want to play one of those two teams that said with the way dallas has been playing if you end up second and you're the avalanche in the central and you have to take on Dallas in the first round. That may not be as scary a matchup as it seemed like it would be for a lot of the year. I agree with you. Uh, Dallas won the most recent game and recent yeah. bias sometimes. And it was uh, really one side. Overwhelms us. Right. But that ugly it Saturday was, game. It, it was a very one-sided game, but the avalanche are two and one this year against the wild. Uh, I'm sorry, against Dallas. They're two and zero oh against the wild actually. Uh, which to me makes the Wild a little more dangerous. Uh, uh, yeah, These two I think teams so. are too evenly matched for one team to be three and zero against the uh, the other, and the Avalanche are the but it's one also team worth that has noting to go three and zero. But I the agree with already you. have the tiebreaker too, uh, uh, and head to head. No matter what I, happens, I understand tonight. that, and that is very important. Uh, I think it, Dallas, for me. 
because of the goaltender. And he almost stole a series a year ago, mm-hmm. if you'll remember. Oh, yeah. The goaltending of Dallas, and frankly, the goaltending of Minnesota as well, would make me not want to play either one in the first round. (laughs) So that's additional incentive to finish first because at that point you would avoid not necessarily a divisional opponent, but you'd avoid those two particular divisional opponents and you'd get either Winnipeg or Seattle, most likely Seattle, and just based on playoff seasoning alone. Listen, Seattle's been a tough team for the Avalanche to match up Mm -hmm. against this year, 1-1-1, head-to-head with the Seattle Kraken. But in a playoff series, I'll take the Stanley Cup champion over a first-time playoff team. With home ice advantage. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, obviously. That part is... uh, And I'd rather play Seattle, although, you know, Seattle's got a winning percentage of over 600. They have to be taken seriously. But I'd much rather play Seattle than either... Minnesota or Dallas. I would too. And so I think that that's the the thing you're you're shooting for here. Not only the 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 first round matchup, the idea to have home ice for at least the first two rounds also helps. And for the Avs, I think they're prepared for this game. The injuries have been a concern. They are. Now worth noting, um reporting out of Minnesota, Ryan Reeves not likely to play tonight for uh, the wild. That's that's a uh, that's impactful. So Gustafson will get the uh, the start. As, as expected. So you're looking at two teams that are hitting each other at, at pretty <laughs> solid times in their run. I mean, these teams over the last 25 combined games haven't lost a lot of, lot of hockey. Well, they've it, played it, it very well. They're, you're they're right. The injuries have been overcome on both sides. Uh, this is, it's not one of those where I look at it and I've thought about this all day prior to the show saying, I'm like, well, where's the edge? Who has the edge on this? And I keep looking at it and I say, I, I don't know. Well, You're you just going to have to you, drop the puck and find you, out tonight. These teams are equally matched. Look at the month of March and gain any particular insight. No. The Minnesota Wild in March are 9-1-3. and three. The Avalanche have played a couple more games, 10-4-1. The Wild have a better winning percentage or point percentage, but the Avalanche have won more games. Both have 21 points in March. So <laughs> take your pick. Uh Who's hotter than whom? I'm not sure. They're the they're they're at worst two of the hottest three or four teams in the league, and the Kings lost last night, right? Right. They were the other team, at least in the West, that was hot. So now the Avs find uh, themselves in another opportunity to take over this division. Now they've had a couple chances to do that. And they haven't quite been able to to get it done. This time, though, it does feel as if the Evs are in a different mindset. That they've been playing extremely well. They have been more confident. They have been more cognizant of the fact that they know they're short. They have almost been intentionally sort of covering for those those injuries. It, it appears that the Evs aren't just necessarily doing well. That's the way it goes. Let's keep on keeping on. To me, the coaching of Jared Bednar, the sort of mindset of the players is they know what they've lost. And you can see with the way they are playing on the ice that they are making sure that they haven't been letting those gaps in their talent get exposed. And I think that's that's an underrated part of this run that they've been on is you know, they, they lose Arturi Lekkanen. They don't miss a beat. It's not as if they don't miss him. It's that 
the rest of the forward lines, especially the top line, ramped up a little bit in the forecheck. They understood they don't have that anymore. Everyone's got to pick up a little bit for what they've lost. Well, and that's impressed me. You know, the old saying, forecheck, backcheck, paycheck. They, they've been, yes, invested in the in the forecheck. Lekkonen was their best forechecker. Um, they have increased their commitment without him. But they've also played better in the other areas of the ice without the puck. That's been a point of emphasis, which might seem strange to people who don't follow the avalanche as closely and think of them as uh, a three-ring offensive circus. And, oh, yeah, the the defense, they got Kale McCarr, but he's an offensive defenseman. The fact of the matter is that this year, for virtually the entire season, the Avalanche have been a top 10 defensive club. They have barely been an average offensive club. I'm talking about over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. And it still remains true that relative to the other teams, they are more highly ranked defensively than they are offensively. Nonetheless, Jared Bednar's pledge uh probably more of a challenge than a pledge. Yeah, I think that's fair. His pledge has been to emphasize defense. His challenge has been embrace it. Embrace it. And think of protecting your goaltender not so much with, pardon the pun, an avalanche of goals, but with an emphasis on playing well in your own end, not making mistakes. Uh, Yes, there are occasional gaps especially against good teams. There have been games lately in which the Avalanche have given up a lot of shots, but particularly against the weaker teams, the non-playoff teams against whom this year the Avalanche are 29 and 10. That's a 744 win percentage. Uh, You're thinking uh, against playoff teams when 60% of your games against non-playoff teams, 75%, they are very close to winning 75%. Uh, They are not, anywhere near winning 60% of their games against playoff teams, but against non-playoff teams, they're very close to 75%. Anaheim the other night, for example, with a backup goaltender, you want to limit their their shots during the competitive portions of the game especially. Mm-hmm. Right. And they did that. And they've been, for the most part, successful against weaker teams in limiting shots. This is not a weaker team they're playing tonight. Uh, th- this is a team that is uh, virtually as hot as the Avalanche have been. And uh, unlike Minnesota Wild teams of the past, this team can score. Even without their best scorer, they have continued to score. And their goaltending is remarkably good. When you have Gustafson and Marc-Andre Fleury, I think you have the best goaltending tandem in the National Hockey League. Uh, Daryl Sutter, as we uh, mentioned the other day, uh, opined a few weeks back that he liked Georgiev and Francois. Problem is Francois hasn't been healthy for a very long time. So it really isn't much of a combination, at least for this year. It hasn't been because Francois has missed so much time. You brought up the idea that the Avs are not focusing as much on offense and that they haven't been the kind of, uh, you know, dominant offensive squad. But the funny thing is the focus on defense 
has actually brought the Avalanche to a better and more consistent offense. Some of this is the counterpunch, right? I mean, you have the opportunity. Uh, this team can skate, and when they find themselves focused on defense, when they get a turnover, when they, they can sort of break out very quickly. But the opportunistic nature of scoring has really put this team in a good spot. The Avs have won 10 of their last 12 games. I'll go back to March 7th against San Jose, but look at the goals they've scored in those wins. Six, three against Arizona in an overtime game, eight against Montreal, two in the shootout against Toronto, but then five at Ottawa, five at Detroit, five against Chicago, three against Arizona in their first win, four against Arizona in the shootout of the second win, five against Anaheim. They're putting up four or five goals or more with regularity, despite the fact they are focusing more on the defense, and that is not as counterintuitive as it seems when you have the skaters that the Avalanche do, and especially the guys on defense when you're talking about a McCarr or a Byram or a Gerard that can actually not only be on a break, but lead a break. In basketball, you talk about playing defense without fouling, right? Same thing in hockey, except they're called penalties. Mm -hmm. And if you can defend without taking a lot of penalties, and you can defend in such a way that in transition, you sometimes can draw penalties. You have as hot a power play as there is in the league right now. And, and with certain people healthy, with McKinnon and McCarr in particular, and Rantanen, those are the three guys in the power play. And you've also seen Nishushkin score a bunch yeah, of goals he's and even great. accumulate some assists on the power play. So it, it, those four guys on your power play, McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, and now Nishushkin, in place of Landeskog, who was there last year. You have a power play that's delivering, and that helps with your goal scoring because you're able to score on the power play at least once in virtually every game you play, at least for this month. That's been the story. And if you're not taking penalties, what's the avalanche weakness? And it has been for quite some time. It was last year, and they won the Stanley Cup anyway. Penalty killing. Yeah. And when you don't take a lot of penalties... You don't have to kill them off. And so I, I think the emphasis on playing defense without drawing uh, penalties and, in fact, drawing penalties yourself uh, against the opposition, that's been a major factor uh, for the Avalanche. The balance sheet on special teams has worked more often in their favor this month. And, uh, frankly, uh, to an extent uh, in February – the, the, the Avalanche went seven one and two in February. <laughs> That's no. a, uh, they're, they're yeah, this, this run is not new, as you it's pointed a, out. Seven one and two in February, and the last half of January they were hot. Uh, but you know what? The Avalanche haven't had until this month. They haven't had a ten win month. They have a ten win month right now. Uh, they need this to be an eleven win month. This At really least. does feel like because well, it the will Avs, be. It's the last game in right. March, right? Uh, so it needs to be an 11. Yes, because otherwise they play Saturday, which is the first uh, against Dallas. But you look at this team and you look at their situation when it comes to the games left in this division. And as a result, there are only so many more options to take control of this division. This is, it is maybe not your last chance, but it is by far your best chance. And... There's only so many opportunities left. So for the Avs... I, I think it might be their last chance, actually. And yeah, that's how Bednar's coaching. Be. I, I mean, he, he's talked about this. So we've had other opportunities uh, against Dallas and against Pittsburgh. And we blew those chances. Uh, and the Pittsburgh game was here. And they got routed by Pittsburgh, too. Just as they had a few weeks back 
by the Stars in Dallas. It, it, I'm thinking this is really if if they lose tonight and fall three points behind, I know it's they'll tough. still have a game in hand. But to me, a game in hand when you're three points behind still leaves you one, one point short behind. if you win it. Right. Uh, and you know, I look at the winning percentages right now in the Central Division. The Azure at 644, the Wild at 642, and Dallas at 635. Couldn't be much closer. And it's conceivable if you lost tonight and came away with no points, losing regulation, that you're fighting with Dallas. You know you're going to probably have to play them in the first round. And you may not have home ice advantage, and Dallas is a very tough team in their building. Big game for the Avalanche. We will talk more about it. As a matter of fact, Kitty Goss of Altitude Television will join us later in the program. But we'll turn our attention to the Denver Broncos. How does the league feel Denver has improved after free agency? Uh, that massive leap that you're looking for might not have happened just yet. We'll explain next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, we know the Denver Broncos had a successful free agency period. Now, we've talked about this. By and large, the teams that spend a lot in free agency are teams that have a drafted all that well in recent years, and that's why they have to sort of fill in gaps. But I think the Broncos did not make any moves that either you or I looked at and went, I don't know why they did that. I mean, I think there were sensible moves, and... Uh, maybe you overpaid a bit from Mike McGlinchey. Maybe you did, but that's what happens when you're going to go try to find a starting tackle on the on the free. And agent you might market. have overpaid for Powers too. But again, you probably had to. Yeah, I mean, he had a good year for a good team that definitely uh, wanted to keep him. But you know, coming off a good year, they probably knew they couldn't afford him, and the Broncos were in a position to pay um, two solid moves. I even think uh, that the expense was such with respect to Jarrett Stidham, that that was a nice yep. signing. And, and they, they did, I, I'm not going to say they saved money. They didn't really save money. But uh, if they got equivalent, if they will get an equivalent production out of Zach Allen, who signed for a little less than Draymond Jones, that offsets as well right. as Jones goes to Seattle. So now that the vast majority of free agency moves have been completed over at ESPN this week, uh, Jeff Legwald writes uh, to cover the Broncos there, participated in their big uh, group project to put together where the league stands in their power rankings. Now, the Denver Broncos, as the year ended, were at 27th, which sounds about right. 27th in the league of a 32-team league. Not bottom five, but bottom six. Yes. Close. Yes. (laughs) Uh, They are up. That is the good news. They might not be up as far as many Broncos fans would hope. They're up to 23 in ESPN's rankings. To me, that sounds about right, but before I have you weigh in on that, Legwald talked about the top under-the-radar move. So it's easy to say McGlinchey or Powers or something like that. 
he picked Traymond Smith, the return man slash corner, arguing that he was a quality kickoff returner, but Smith could add even more value if the Broncos can get more on defense from him. This is from, from Leggy. Smith was a late-round prospect in the 2018 draft. Many scouts thought he could develop into a reliable option in the slot and outside, uh, showing 4.38 second speed in the 40 at Central Arkansas and plenty of ball production in college with 15 career interceptions. Gambled a lot of coverage, but the flashes are there. If the Broncos can find the flashes, they could find significant value from the signing. I don't think, given all those caveats that Jeff Legwald wrote in there, the Broncos thought about signing Tremont Smith as a corner first and foremost. They wanted a returner who might be able to play a little bit of corner. But the truth is that corner is a bit of a need too. Now, you know, Ronald Darby is, has been, uh, they, they moved on from Darby. Uh, you'd like Damari Mathis, I think, but there, there's still some depth that needs to be assembled there as well behind Patrick Satan. And you got a slot. Cover guy. In K1 Williams, you already have yeah. kind of a slot guy, which is in Tremont Smith's case, if he were to be doing that, that's what he'd be doing. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know how much of that that fits, but the idea of Smith being the most significant under the, the radar move and the Broncos moving from 27 to 23, uh, your thoughts on any of that? Well, uh, it, let me start with Smith. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but somewhere in our friend Jeff Legwald's analysis. Wasn't there a reference to the playing time he got there was. in Houston? As right? a matter of fact, there was, now, yes. And that, uh, yeah. Houston fired a head coach. 16 and 17% of the defensive snaps my, in each of the last two years. That was going to be my point. Yep. And it, that was the portion of the analysis that I focused on. Altogether possible that they could be wrong that they undervalued smith Mm -hmm. and the broncos may see things in smith that are actually there that houston didn't see in the universe of possible things that is a possibility but i'm looking at a guy who played for a bad team now i understand they weren't a terrible defense but still not an elite defense i don't believe and this guy played 16% and 17% of the snaps. And you're talking about him as a possible, if not starter, then a regular reserve at the position. That would be the suggestion is that would make it a good signing if, if they were able to get that much. I, I am skeptical. I think you signed a return. I think you signed a return, man. And hopefully you can play a little bit there, but I think you signed a return. Supposedly, they had a returner last year. And I don't know that I'd give up on this fellow. I mean, you fired the special teams mm-hmm. coach, who we both happen to like. I think he got caught up uh, in the wash uh, to an extent with the offensive problems. And, of course, it seems for years, apart from their Super Bowl championship year, that the Broncos have had, and I say years, it's really been decades, special team shortcomings under a variety of head coaches and special teams mm-hmm. coaches. Yeah, uh, In the 21st century, that has been in most years an issue with the Broncos and not an issue that they tend to boast about. Uh, special teams play. I understand injuries factor into that. 
pour drafting factors into that because late round draft picks can make a team by virtue of their play on special teams and not enough Bronco draft picks have been able to do that. Uh, even if they've made the team, they haven't helped very much if at all on special teams. Uh, and, and, they, and they drafted Washington with that in mind, handed him the job, which they've done before in recent times. And, and I think most of us conceptually would like to see a player earn that position. Tremont Smith is one of those guys, by the way, that sixth round draft pick out of central Arkansas. So a guy that had to basically step up and win his role in special teams, which is what he did uh, with the Texans. But yeah, you, you certainly would like to see someone earn it. In this case, it kind of seems like it's being handed off again. I mean, I suppose it's possible that, you know, you could see a scenario in which that doesn't happen where there is truly a competition. And maybe there will be between Tremont Smith and, and Mont- Montreal Washington. And maybe they are, going to take a look. He has the size, 5'11", 190. He has the speed. So the, the question is, can you cut down on the gambling going for picks? So, you know, 15 interceptions at, in, in college where your NFL caliber speed can allow you to take those gambles, but they can't do it at the NFL level like you could at college. Let me make a similar point in a different way. If he had more than speed to offer, the Houston Texans didn't see it. Because they certainly needed it. From the line of skirmish. They certainly needed it. From the line of skirmish, at least. Right. They did not see that he had anything more than raw speed. That doesn't mean that there isn't something more there, but they had him for years, and they didn't see it in him as a defensive back as a slot corner in particular, they did not see that he had anything more than speed. And if all you have is speed, you're not going to be a successful NFL defensive back, particularly at the corner position inside or outside. If that's all you bring to the table is speed and there's nothing else. That's why I like Mathis because speed is not even the second or third thing you thought of when, apart from the first game he played, Mathis played well last year. Mm -hmm. You weren't thinking, well, he played well because he was fast. There were other parts of his game that seemed more impressive than the speed he brought Mm -hmm. to bear on, on his performance. So I'm always skeptical. We hear the same thing in hockey at times, with prospects, well, he can skate. And that's certainly important. But if that's all he has, and his hands aren't great, and his willingness to defend isn't great, unless he can score 35 or more goals for me, it's got to be more than just speed. And if he can score 35 goals, it means he has more than speed. He has a natural goaltender's, uh, a natural goal scorer's hands. There are other qualities he brings to bear. Even if he's small, he can operate well in traffic and the high danger scoring areas where bigger guys can push you out. He is either elusive enough or smart enough to survive in those areas. I don't care if a guy can check as long as he's scoring 40 goals. 
And listen, if this guy is picking off for reasons of speed or other factors, three or four passes a year, okay. No, he's not the biggest guy, but he'll play in the slot against other smaller receivers. I can live with that. I'm not convinced. And, and again, back to the point, if he had anything more than raw speed, Houston didn't see it. That doesn't mean it can't be seen, but Houston didn't see it. And we saw what Seattle saw in the decline of Russell Wilson. Turns out Seattle was right and the Broncos were wrong. And that's the issue with free agency. You talk about... Yes, the Broncos want a guy and he seems to fill a hole. Fine. But never lose sight of the fact that the team that had the free agent that you just signed didn't want him. And they can use any excuse they want. The bottom line is they did not want this player. It is is completely important, I think. Caveat emptor market when you're talking about free agency because you're exactly right you know for every for everybody you look and you get excited about that is a player that the other team decided that they didn't think it was moving worth moving heaven and earth to go ahead and do so okay i i I look at the things that you talked about the idea that what you're looking for is somebody who's proven that they've been able to contribute a little bit more than just their physicality or, or one skill set. And I'm not knocking Tremont Smith's ability to return kicks. That's why I think the under the radar signing that you and I both agree strongly on, quite frankly, that has been the most impactful is probably Samaj P. Ryan and not least of which, because as if the season were to start today, he's RB1. I mean, that's your starting running back. Davis Murray hasn't been re-signed. Javante Williams is going to be available. And, and surprisingly, I heard, Sean Payton speak on Latavius Murray the other day and he was dismissive. Yeah, so like we might sign him, we might not sign him. I I took it as dismissive. And that surprised me because when he was hired, I I think he even spoke at his introductory press conference as one who who liked Murray and who had coached him. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past he played with New Orleans for a time. And Yet the other day, I, I didn't think he could have been much more dismissive. That, that that was one that surprised me right up there with Dulcich. And we also said he hadn't really had a chance to evaluate yet. And then maybe the context was the offense was so bad I got sick of watching it. And for that reason, I didn't see much of Dulcich, <laughs> who, let's be honest, did, as a matter of fact, it's not a matter of honesty, matter of fact, first half of the season didn't play but still wound up as the third leading pass catcher mm-hmm. damning. Yes. With faint praise because they didn't have much of a passing game last year, but still in half a season to be your third leading pass catcher and have the new coach say, well, you know, I haven't really paid any attention to him. I haven't evaluated him yet. And, you know, and then add on that, you know, most of what he watched uh, disgusted him last year when he looked at the uh, offensive film of the 2022 Broncos um, coach. It made a lot of us a bit queasy as well. Yes. Yes. And so I did this part, the idea that the Broncos maybe moved over 27 to 23, quite frankly, that sounds about right. I, I can't really say it'd be more than that right now. I'm curious to see what 
you think our number, what text and foot call line is 303-831-1340. Another point to be made quickly. Mm-hmm. 23. Okay. Bottom 10. Maybe they're higher. Maybe they're lower. Kansas City, one. The Chargers, seven. Mm-hmm. The Raiders, 18. Yikes. Whether it's 23 or 27, the most important thing is the division in which you play, and the evaluation is still that the Broncos are a good distance in arrears of not only Kansas City, but the Chargers and Raiders as well. Whether they're 27th or 23rd, that's a last-place team in the AFC West, which... uh, Went very quickly from being the greatest division ever assembled under the current to be NFL the Chiefs and divisional some other guys. format, right? <laughs> Basically, right. It turned very quickly into a division in which you might or might not have two top ten teams, but there's a pretty big drop off once you get through the Chiefs and the Chargers. Yes, in this division, you have two or lower half teams as currently evaluated by most, by consensus view in the National Football League. And there are two drop-offs. There's the one behind the Chargers and the Chiefs, and then there's just the one behind the Chiefs. Uh, It's pretty substantial there, too. The Chiefs rather unhappy about, especially Patrick Mahomes, about one of the new decisions that the NFL made at its annual meetings. We'll talk about that next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. For the NFL, Denver Broncos, less of a concern. They're not heavily in demand on National media broadcasts at the moment, but uh, for teams that are the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, first and foremost among them, the NFL's idea now uh, that you teams can now play multiple Thursday night football games. Now, there was even a proposal that teams could be flexed to Thursday. That has been tabled Thank goodness. at the meetings, but now uh, multiple games on Thursday coming up. Out of, out of a bunch of players, Patrick Holmes was uh, one of the more significant ones to actually tweet out his disapproval of that because guess who they're going to want on that more often, right? The It's limited to two. They cap it. Right. Two. It is limited to two. But we do know that at least most of the time with with a league with one, you know, with a bye week, you can at least maneuver some of it around a bye and, and when, sure. when you can make sure that teams are getting the appropriate rest. The other uh, opportunity, of course, when it was a 16-game season is every team was on Thursday Night Football once. And now that was not going to happen anymore. They want the big teams on there for primetime games. Those have now moved to uh, Amazon Prime Video entirely. You can imagine there's a little bit of pressure being put there by a broadcast partner. You or, think? Now... And, and we know, uh, historically, correct, mm-hmm. that the NFL never responds to pressure from their broadcast partners. <laughs> right. Right, sure they don't. Of course, when it's broadcast partners slash advertisers, it's kind of the same thing when you're talking about this sort of frontier. The NFL, as I've said for years, will dive for every dime they can get. 
Always have. And it brings to mind, once again, uh, the rather famous or infamous quote from Mark Cuban. Remember years ago, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered, and even some people inside the game, Patrick Mahomes may be among them, feel that this whole Thursday night football business is wrought with peril when it comes to player safety anyway. And the idea that you would be forced to play two games on Thursdays and, oh, by the way, if you play on Thanksgiving and you play again the following Thursday, that does not count as two appearances that only counts yeah. as one. Thanks, the Thanksgiving and now the new Christmas game is its own thing. So if a team like the Chiefs played on Thanksgiving Day, played the following Thursday, they would be eligible to play technically on a third Thursday. That's three games out of 17 that conceivably the Chiefs could play other teams as well, mm. but the Chiefs in particular as the number one football attraction right now. Patrick Mahomes probably individually the number one attraction. Three out of 17 games could be played on Thursday night. I would view that as a competitive disadvantage for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I imagine the certain teams feel that way. Now, competitive disadvantages is the thing I think it's worth talking about because even though it stands to reason that shorter weeks might involve more injuries. You know, we've, uh, we've actually talked about this before. Studies have suggested, and not just the ones the NFL has commissioned, but, uh, you know, actual, I'm looking right now. Which from Roger the, uh, Goodell is very anxious to point out. Right. The National Library of, of, of Medicine from the government website there is that at least from a five-year span, looking from 2012 through 2017, so really six seasons, that was the last major uh, survey of that. But there are actually fewer injuries on Thursday night than there are on the Sunday and Monday nights. Now that it's not a massive difference. It's 0.97, but at the same time, there is some argument to say that it, the, the Thursday night week is not a significant injury enhancer. Now it remains to be seen what happens if there are two over the course of a longer now 17 week season, which of course these no, it's actually seasons, 18, 18 weeks. Well, you're right, but 17 games. Right. But these particular situations did not address. But uh, yeah, we wanted to go to the uh, to the phone line. We can do that as well. Sure. 303 831 and I talked to one of our callers. Hey Dave, thanks for calling in to uh, Sandy and Sean. Hey guys, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for hey, calling. You, you, you know, uh, tonight's I think the biggest game for the abs all season, I think it's really important. Everybody just thinks they're going to turn it on. It's hockey. Everybody thought DU was just going to go into the, into the NCAA playoffs. And I saw the CC game and it didn't look right. Uh, CC shut them down, which I really liked how they're building the program down there. That guy, he just stayed with the young guys and, He's getting them ready for the future. I, I think he may be the guy. Uh, I, I'm glad you made uh, the initial uh, point, and we'll, we'll get back to the avalanche a little bit later on, but I, I'm glad you made the point because it was one I uh, wanted to make and, and missed out on uh, earlier in the show. Um, some might disagree, but 
to me, this is the most important regular season game they played in five years. The last most important game was the last game, I believe, of the 2017-18 season when they had to beat St. Louis to make the playoffs. And it was a win or go home game for both teams. The winner would go to the playoffs, the loser would go home. Uh, Since then, I don't think there's been a bigger regular season than one stage uh, tonight. So I'm I'm glad you brought up the subject. Um, And and we'll get into that a little more in a few minutes. To me, it seems like they... Every one of these big games, it's been a big letdown. You know, uh, going into uh, Toronto early in the season, it was supposed to be or playing Toronto here early in the season. It was a big letdown. Playing Dallas here a few weeks ago, big letdown. You know, they haven't matched the other team's intensity. You know, I know it's, it's only one game, but, you know, in hockey, a lot can change in one game, you know. Uh, I've been disappointed in Newhook this year. Uh, he's not going to be a guy. He's just going to be one of the guys. You know, I, I just don't, I don't see anybody replacing Kadri. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Makar. But, but the Kadri of this year wouldn't have replaced the Kadri of last year either. Probably no. not. And probably not. quite frankly, the Kadri of previous years wouldn't have replaced the Kadri of the year he was with the Avalanche, the last year he had the Avalanche either. Kadri reached sort of unprecedented heights. I think we have to build that into the calculation and yeah. note that JT Comfer uh, is going to be a 50-point-plus man this year, and that's more or less what Kadri is for Kadri. Yeah, and 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 appreciate uh, the, the the call, Dave, Yeah, because that, obviously, the, yeah, it is a big game. And when you're talking about matching that energy, and, you know, we can get back to the Thursday Night Football in a bit, but they, when we talk about that matching that energy for the Avalanche, uh, I also think that this Avalanche team in the last six to eight weeks has had a focus that the team early in the season, you mentioned the Toronto game clearly did not have. And this team I think has, if you're looking from point A to point B at the beginning of the season to now, you have a team that kind of came off fatigue that appeared fatigued mentally and physically fatigued was dealing with injuries, a lot of uncertainty with those injuries. And then after a while realized, you know, over time, wake, wake up, we're good enough. Let's, let's start, focusing on doing what we can do, that bad loss to uh, Chicago. And then ever since then, this team has kind of focused up. And now they've started to get healthier at the same time. If it's peaking at the right time that you want, the Avalanche are really doing it. The only catch tonight is Minnesota is too, and we will find out when they drop the puck tonight which team's got it this evening. But I also don't think, unless this is some sort of bizarre, wild win 6-1 to one situation, that if this is the, the tight one-goal game that I expect it to be, no matter who comes out on top, I'm not going to look at it and say the Avalanche certainly weren't ready. I, I mean, I just think that the, these are two, this is a heavyweight fight tonight. It's almost cliche to say nowadays that uh, this is a playoff type of game. But I'm going to say it anyway. Sure. I, it, it certainly has ramifications for the upcoming playoffs. The outcome tonight will go a long way toward determining who finishes first in this division and avoids the other team in the first round of the playoffs, right? Uh, And I think because of the stylistic difference between the two teams, you're likely to see conflict tonight. And I don't mean fights. Uh, And I don't necessarily mean cheap shots either, Mm -hmm. but I think there will be... uh, ill feeling and uh, 
conflicting styles that will produce a degree of drama not normally associated with regular season hockey games. Even late season, regular season hockey games. I, I This is a different animal. And it isn't do or die as the St. Louis Avs game was five years ago, but it, it, for first place it is. For first place it is. And Jared Bednar has been trying to make the point, and he tried to make it last week and told the Avalanche that Pittsburgh would be a desperate team, which at least last week they were when it came to survival in the playoff race. The Avs had their own incentive in playing for first place that at least last week did not match the spirit that the Penguins brought to bear on the game. And, you know, Crosby, a great big game performer always, was the best player on the ice that night. And the Avalanche didn't match the urgency. I I won't say desperation because I didn't see Pittsburgh looking desperate, but urgent, yes. And the Avs didn't match that. There is no excuse for not matching the Wild because the incentive for both teams is basically identical. Yes. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. It, it really is. So you know, we'll consider that as well. And we will get back to the avalanche with uh, Altitude Katie Goss in just a little bit. But might have snuck up on you. Baseball's opening day is tomorrow. There are rules changes. How much is it going to change the game? And I have something about... It's one of the rules changes that if the Avalanche uh, and Nuggets are more relevant than the Rockies by Memorial Day, we, <laughs> we officially uh, don't have to talk about the Rockies. We make our own rules here. We, we do what we want. Yeah, you, do we, we, don't, we don't need any owners summit. We can just do what we want. That's, that's the beauty of it. So we'll be back. We'll talk a little bit about Major League Baseball and the Rockies next on Mile High Sports.